So I have good news and bad news. The bad news, as we already know, is we do have the fifth pick rather than the first pick or the second pick or the third or the fourth pick in this upcoming draft. But the good news is that honestly, the more I'm watching this film and the more I'm I'm doing my research, the more I get excited about this pick. I know it's not Wemby, it's not Scoot, it's not Brandon Miller, probably. But we are going to have to make do with the fifth pick. And so today we're going to talk about what the Pistons could do with that pick, assuming they keep it rather than trade it, which is another option. But honestly, there are some really good options here at five for us. And I again, I can't stress enough. It's not Wemby. It's not Scoot. And this isn't me coping. This is we have the fifth pick. We got to deal with that and make the best pick possible. But I think someone we pick here is actually going to be a really key contributor in our core and most of the players that are going to be available from that 4 to 10 range are a perfect, almost seamless fit with Cade, Ivy, and Durin. So let's get into this. The four players I'm really looking at here, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, Asar Thompson, and Taylor Hendricks. So we're not really going to talk a ton about Brandon Miller or Amon Thompson because they're projected to be gone by the time 5 comes around, but... Every year or so, a player slips, so the Pistons need to be ready in that case. Now, I'm honestly, like, crazy torn between the first four that I mentioned. So Cam and Asar sort of fill the immediate need of a scoring wing. And yes, I know Asar needs to be able to shoot better. We'll talk about that later. But Jarris and Hendricks seem like they're sort of the prototype 4-3. And it seems like Jarris may be more able to play the three than Hendricks. But they're guys who can stretch the floor and defend with really great impact. Hendricks, especially defensively. Walker's a little more athletic. But man, both of those guys can slide right in next to Durin, can space the floor, and finally turn this Pistons team, or at least help turn this Pistons team into like a competent defensive team. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. So I'm honestly incredibly torn. But the thing is, every decision really does have to be based around Cade, Ivy, and Durin as your three pillars right now. Those are three of your five starters, so that leaves holes at the three and the four position. Now, a lot of people are going to be like, okay, what does this mean for Isaiah Stewart or James Wiseman or Marvin Bagley, whatever? And I, I think, honestly, and I've said this before, I think especially with Stu, I think I would love Stu to be around for a long time in Detroit. But I think his ceiling essentially is that super energy bunny can really help defensively in spots can you know he's starting to stretch the floor and if he can prove that he can actually shoot consistently and space the floor the conversation does change a bit but I think ultimately he's sort of your better off as your long-term super sub first big off the bench and you you don't worry about I don't think you worry about Stewart Wiseman and Bagley when you're making any sort of pick or move this summer so, okay, before we talk about the four in more detail that I mentioned, we could talk about Brandon Miller and Amon Thompson, just in case they fall. Now, Brandon Miller is projected to go two or three. He, It's sort of basically what it's been the last couple months, and especially recently. You got Scoot, you got Wemby as a lock, and then you got Miller, who maybe goes two or three, but also apparently has been bombing his interviews, is not in great shape right now. 
and there's there's a little speculation that he could be able to fall and slip sort of past that 3-4 spot right into the Pistons' lap. So the thing is, I mean, assuming the Pistons have done their due diligence and everything checks out, he's sort of the no-brainer pick at five. I mean, he immediately slots in, is a, is a versatile scoring wing, not a liability defensively, definitely does have some things to work on, but at the end of the day, I think he's probably your best prospect that comes right in and plays the small forward and just fits seamlessly around Cade, Ivy, and Duran. But again, he's projected top three. Chances he falls are low, but uh, you know, talk around the NBA is basically saying it wouldn't be shocking if he fell down to five or even six. So then you move on to Amon Thompson, who's projected to go four, and is you know everybody's talking about him as sort of one of those high ceiling, low floor guys, where it's like you're swinging for the fences with him, but there's a lot he does that can get you really excited and really projects that he could turn into a star down the line. But there's a lot of risks, a lot of improvement areas for him that are needed. So here's the thing. Amon Thompson is definitely a primary ball handler, and he's he's the worst fit of this, of this 4 to 10 range for the Pistons core. You already have two young guard ball handlers, lead initiators, guys who will have the ball in their hands the most of the game. And Cade and Ivy. So Amon Thompson falls. You really have a decision to make because he might be the best player available and you might value that he could be the biggest superstar potential. The fit's weird. His shooting is completely broken, but he does almost everything else really well. But it's also sort of tough. Same with Asar Thompson we'll talk about later. Like no one really knows how to evaluate the overtime sort of experience. So if Amon falls, you really have a decision to make. Do you take him here and just say, screw the fit, we're going to figure it out later? I mean, the Pistons are in a position where they probably should be taking best player available. I mean, same would be with the Scoot argument had they gotten two, if it was Scoot or Brandon Miller, whatever. But the other alternative here is you trade back a couple spots, not necessarily trade back to the back half of the lottery, but if there are guys you still like, if there's two, three, four guys you still like, Maybe one of the teams behind you really wants Amon Thompson once he slips past Houston. And maybe there's a deal to be had where you can fall back a couple spots, get another asset or two in the process, as I've been talking about for the longest time. The Pistons really need to start stacking assets so that they can take a swing eventually down the line when they're ready for someone like a Jalen Brown without giving up a Jaden Ivey and those sorts of things. So if Amon falls, you got a decision to make, but he's a really exciting player. And honestly, it's like you wouldn't be able to be mad at that. You just sort of figure out the fit later. So now moving forward a bit to my four guys who I think are projected to be there and are seemingly better fits than Amon Thompson. Let's talk about his twin brother, Asar Thompson. More of a wing, less needs the ball in his hands, is a really good facilitator, super athletic, the defense is really exciting, and honestly, his three-point shooting is further along than Amon Thompson, but still has a lot of improvement to make in that area, and that's something. So he's probably, in terms of seamless fits, the least of the four, because until that shot becomes more consistent, granted, towards the end of his season, he definitely was shooting it better, and it's promising, but he's the kind of guy where it's like, he's great in transition, not as good at finishing as Amon. And it's something where if he's not able to shoot and space the floor with Cade, Ivy, and Duran, 
it's going to be a little trickier to keep him in the lineup, at least early on. I mean, but but he's someone to be excited about. Another sort of sky could be the limit for him based on his athleticism, his skills. Like, it's one of those things where even though he might not fit in seamlessly, he fits well enough to bet on the upside. Five people are saying maybe a bit of a reach for him. I mean, he's he's a little projected to go in the six, seven, eight, nine range. But he's one of those players where if you like him, another thing, maybe you trade back a little bit if someone else likes him more. Or you take him, you bet on the upside, you like his fit currently enough to make that gamble. Now, I ran a poll the other day, and it got got a good amount of votes, and 62% of Pistons fans had voted on Cam Whitmore out of these four players. So Cam seems like the purest three out of these four options, and he's someone who offensively, really exciting, another super athlete, which is what a lot of people think raises his ceiling. You know, he does have some potential defensively. The The downside here is he has not been consistent with his three-point shot, which again, similar to Sar Thompson, it's like you are going to need to be able to hit a three if you're going to play with Cade, Ivy, and Duren, because there's not a ton of spacing with those three. Granted, Ivy showed a lot of flashes in the last season. Cade, inefficient as he's been, has definitely shown flashes of being a good three-point shooter, certainly in the clutch. Duren obviously is not a floor spacing five, at least at this time. I think based on what he's shown us later in his career, he may be able to be a, a bit of a floor spacer. But as of right now, you need to surround those guys with spacing. That's why Boyan Bogdanovich was so important. That's why the Pistons may go after someone like a Jeremy Grant or a Cam Johnson type this summer. They need people around them who are going to stretch the floor. Cam Whitmore, I think his form looks nice. His shot looks pretty good for the most part mechanically. And it's just he hasn't been consistent. He has not been hitting at a consistent rate. But I think everything else he does says if you are committed to taking a three here, which they may very well be, Cam is probably your cleanest option here. I mean, there's another thing about him that he needs to improve, which is definitely his playmaking and decision-making. But the good news is in this scenario, he's playing with Cade and Ivy and not really having the ball in his hands to specifically facilitate for others and create offense for others. You would like your wing to be able to create for others and make better decisions, but... I think that's something that hopefully could come with time with the right, you know, coaching and training and all that. And with Cade and Ivy, I think he's honestly a pretty seamless fit. Next up is sort of a 1A, 1B of of the big slash wing you can pair next to Jalen Duran and potentially turn this team around defensively. Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks. And honestly, I cannot decide between these two who I would rather draft if the Pistons go this route. So Jarris is a little bit more athletic. He, I think, is more of a natural four, but I think he can play the three more so than Taylor Hendricks can. There are some things he needs to clean up defensively, mainly on the perimeter if he wants to be that three. But, man, he's athletic. He can stretch the floor. Similar to the other guys, like his shooting hasn't been that consistent, but I think it's good and he's shown enough that he can absolutely stretch the floor. And man, this guy is a good passer. He makes a lot of plays. He's really creative with his playmaking. And it's like, that's someone you can play through, especially in the high post, on the elbows, whatever it is. May not be in the paint playing out of the post, especially with Duran. But man, like you can facilitate through him as your four or if he's playing the three. 
And that's really exciting. And again, super athletic. I think he's got a high ceiling. A lot of people compare him to Isaiah Stewart. You know, they got similar hair, similar build. But Jarris is sort of in my guy Bryce at Motor City Hoop said this the other day. Jarris is sort of what we want Stu to end up being. And Jarris has sort of already been that. And I think he has better size. He's definitely more athletic. And I just, I absolutely love his fit next to Duran in the front court. And like I said, he can play the three too. You know, hypothetically, in this scenario, you have a lineup of Cade, Ivy, Bogdanovich, if he's still there, Jarris Walker, Jalen Duran. I absolutely love that lineup. Then you got Taylor Hendricks, who's really similar to Walker, a better interior defender. Absolutely, you cannot score on him in the paint. And I think a combo of him and Jalen Duran would be borderline impossible to score on. He was a really effective three-point shooter, and it's like he he can't do a ton of creating himself, or at least that he's shown. I mean, a lot of people think that there's more there, and I, you know, I I'm I'm about it. But he hasn't shown as much creating as Jarris Walker did offensively. He would be more of a straight-up big who can interior defend really good defensively, can absolutely stretch the floor, but you're going to have to create for him. A lot of people are saying they think he could play the three as well, and I, I'm not 100% confident or sure in that, but I think he would be an absolute perfect fit next to Duran again at the four spot, can play some small ball five, and he was a pretty good rebounder too. So I think that... Honestly, you cannot go wrong between those two if this is the route you go. These two are really exciting as far as rounding out the front court, and especially with Jairus Walker. And you guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I- I'm kind of new to the whole scouting and deep diving on players, but it seems like Jairus Walker is a bit more versatile in terms of playing the three and the four than Taylor Hendricks. But man, I, I love the idea of both of these guys here. So my absolute dream scenario, which probably is low likelihood of this happening, is picking one of these guys at five and then finding a way to trade into the top 10 again with that Mavs pick at 10 they're rumored to be shopping and then pick any of the four who have fallen that far. Again, every single season, every single year, there are a couple players that fall, especially in the lottery. And if there's a world where they can walk away with one of Walker and Hendricks and then one of Asar Thompson or Cam Whitmore, that would be absolute dream. And I know a lot of people are sick of of the young and the youth movement and they want to get more vets in there. And I get it. I'm with you. But the more I look at these guys, I think that at the very least, let's say you get two stabs at it, right? Let's say you do end up with Cam Whitmore and Taylor Hendricks or something like that or Asar Thompson Taylor Hendricks, Jairus Walker, Asar Thompson, whatever the combo is. If one of those two ends up being your long-term future three or four, then this obviously was was a home run of a draft, even though we didn't get Wemby, we didn't get Scoot, probably didn't get Brandon Miller. And I do actually, the more I think about it, I wonder if the Pistons would trade up to four if Brandon Miller slipped there, if they got an inkling that the Rockets or another team wanted to scoop in. That's an interesting thought. I wonder if that's going to happen one way or another if he falls, if the Houston Rockets make that pick, or if it gets traded to the Pistons or a team behind them that sort of jumps up there. So that'll be interesting. But okay, back to the 10th pick. Let's say we could pry this from the Mavs, right? They're looking to upgrade their their depth. They need to get Luka help, and they need to clear cap space. So let's say hypothetically that there's a world where the Mavs take Boyan Bogdanovich, maybe they get Killian Hayes, 
maybe Bagley, even though I, I doubt they want to take on the money. Pistons get back Tim Hardaway Jr. They take on Davis Berton's contract. Basically, they help the Mavs salary dump while giving them Boyan Bogdanovich, who's a very good contributor and will absolutely help Luka. I know a lot of people were giving me shit. They're like, oh, the Mavs aren't going to trade the 10 pick for Boyan Bogdanovich. Straight up, probably not. But if the Pistons are helping the Mavs clear cap space, you know, they're maybe going to re-sign Kyrie Irving and they need money to upgrade the roster before Luka gets so frustrated that he wants out because the Mavs have been pretty terrible building around him so far. So that's a way, even though you're shipping out Boyan, you're getting back Vets and Hardaway Jr. and Bertans in this scenario, maybe a JaVale McGee, help him clear more, whatever it is. I think that you go all in on this draft in terms of you you make the fit. I don't want to trade out. I don't want to trade out of this draft. I'm too excited about these prospects now, and they're all perfect fits, essentially. So I say you make the fifth pick. Unless there's a good opportunity to move back a couple spots, if whoever you want is still going to be there, you get some more assets. I'm all for that. But again, I'm advocating trying to get a second pick, assuming one of these four or someone you really like is still there, you know, in the back half of the lottery. I don't make this trade necessarily if one of the four guys I've been talking about doesn't fall back to 10. And I'm not sure that they will. I mean, all these guys could absolutely be off the table. They're projected to be off the table, but it's going to be tight. And again, on draft night, everything goes crazy. Teams switch around picks. They switch the order. The projections and mock drafts are all moot once the draft gets going. I mean, last year, no one knew Paolo was going first until like 20 minutes before the draft. That's nuts. But I say go in on this draft. Get one or two guys you really like who absolutely fit, or even if it's one of those things where if Amon Thompson slips to five, and then you you trade into that back half of the top ten to get one of the four guys I've been talking about. Even in that scenario, same if like Brandon Miller falls, that one of these four is likely why they fell. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But go get your picks. And then use your cap space to fill out the roster with vets. Like I said, in the Mavs hypothetical scenario that probably won't even happen, the Pistons get back vets to replace Bogdanovich. They add another vet. I think in a perfect world, and again, I know a lot of people are sick of this. I don't want to be losing next year either. But in a perfect world, by the end of next season, your starting lineup is Cade, Ivy, veteran at the three or the four and the other three or four spot is one of these picks at number five or whatever if you trade back a little bit whatever the pick is your top 10 pick let's say that's what i want this team to look like at the end of the year maybe you go get jeremy grant on a on a two-year big deal maybe you find a way or a team that really wants marvin bagley and you don't have to pay to get him off the books because i never thought a three-year deal was going to be a good idea but here we are going into year two now there's only two left so it's a bit more movable but regardless of bagley's contract of whatever wiseman's going to end up getting the pistons are going to have a lot of cap space and in the last episode i stressed how important it is to use it responsibly and using it responsibly similar to the alec burks deal that got us the jalen Duran pick you take on Alec Burks' contract, who's still a really good contributing player. He's a vet. He really is the leading scorer of the bench unit, and he's going to be a big piece this coming season if the Pistons are winning, or they'll ship him off for whatever they can get as an expiring deal. It is what it is. But making moves like that, if you can get picks, take on salary while also obtaining contributing vets to help round out this young team, that's a home run of an offseason. I don't want this team, like I mentioned last time, like there's no free agent that's worth any amount of long-term big money. 
like I've been saying, Jeremy Grant's my number one pick this summer as a free agent, but I don't want to pay him long term. And that may mean that he doesn't come to Detroit for round two. Kristaps Porzingis, another player who, if he opts out, he's going to command a lot of money, but he's going to want long-term money. Though I think he would be a perfect fit for this team, I'm not paying Kristaps Porzingis max money over four years. That's just not going to happen. It's not a responsible way to do this. So the point I'm really trying to make here is you can go all in on this draft and still fill this roster with vets. Like, everyone it was freaking out when I was like, maybe there's a chance you can get Cam Whitmore or Asar Thompson and one of Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, depending, you know, who falls. It obviously is all dependent on how the picks fall and the, the un, unexpected things that happen on draft night. But everyone was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to just keep getting lottery picks and keep going in on the youth movement and all that. And I'm like, look, there is a way, a very effective way to do both. And it's what I'm suggesting. You get your top five pick, don't trade out, see if you can get another top 10 pick if one of your guys falls down to 10 that you really like, fill out the roster with vets that you absorb through cap space, whether it be free agency or trades, do not spend all your money long term, max you're doing this summer is two years, we really need to start making some moves, and if we're not ready in two years to spend money and really compete, then we have big problems because we got extensions coming up for Cade and Ivy and Duran by then in the next, you know, in the two year span. I'm not saying that's happening right now. And there's really no immediate rush or urgency to spend that money. But you can make these last lottery picks as hopefully your last time in the top five, top six, top seven, unless you get lucky with the lottery jumps and odds and all that. But I, I really like these guys in the five to ten range. And I would love to get two of them if, if that's an option while absorbing some cap and filling out the vets around them. The thing is, a massive issue with the Pistons last year, other than, you know, Cade, their best player, being out for most of the year, is that they really, up until Eugene Omarui, who started on 10-day contracts, up until they brought Eugene Omarui in, they could not put a lineup on the floor that was good offensively and defensively. And a lot of times, the lineup wasn't good at either. And that's... A pretty big problem if you have any intention of winning basketball games. Granted, they clearly didn't last year and that backfired. But drafting basically any of these players is a massive step in getting a player that fits and fills a massive hole. The Pistons need any wing. They need any wing that is competent offensively and competent defensively. Ideally, they're graded at least one of those things without being totally incompetent at the other. And all of these picks I mentioned are essentially that. At the very least, they're competent on both ends. Some of these players are great defensively, decent offensively, vice versa. With Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks, they're sort of great on both ends. And yes, I know that every single one of these players has holes. Welcome to the NBA draft. You're not drafting the perfect player. Even Wemby has holes that he needs to fill. But basically, all of these players either come in and immediately elevate the defense or the offensive side of the ball for the Pistons essentially seamless fits all around for these four that I've been really talking about. And, you know, again, Brandon Miller, Amon Thompson are, are the two wild cards that probably won't be there. But if they fall, you got to be ready to have that discussion. All of this to say, even though we fell all the way to five for the first time in NBA history where the, the number one projected pick fell all the way to five, even though that happened and the lottery gods hate us, we're still in a position to, to draft a really good young prospect who immediately fills a need of the Pistons, which is a competent 
NBA quality wing. And all these guys' ceilings, honestly, that I mentioned are pretty much through the roof. There's not really uh, one of those really safe sort of Keegan Murray's or Tyrese Halliburton pre-draft. No one, no one knew Tyrese was going to be this good. He was advertised as high floor, low ceiling sort of player. There's none of these that I'm looking at here. I mean, a lot of these guys are sort of, we'll see where their floor is, but most of these guys' ceilings is pretty through the roof and obviously dependent on their development, the situation they're in, all of that sort of stuff. But needless to say, I'm excited about the draft. I hate I hate to break it to you guys, but even though we fell to five, there's still going to be a really good option available or two or three or four. And if you can get that additional top 10 pick, assuming one of your guys falls to there after you've already drafted another, I think the Pistons are going to walk away from this draft in a really, really good spot. So those are my little Pistons thoughts. We'll see how things shake up as we get closer to the draft. We still got a month to go, but smokescreen start coming up. Trade chatter starts coming up. Who knows what's going to happen with the Celtics team? Who knows what's going to happen with with disgruntled stars around the NBA? You just never know what's going to happen. That's why the NBA offseason is so exciting. And honestly, as a Pistons fan, this is more exciting than the regular season was this past season. So I'm willing to bet that this is going to be a fun summer one way or another. And I'm, I'm really excited for the draft. I don't know what to tell you guys. 